For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Lembet Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Greetings, one and all. Wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining me here on TNT, the home of free speech for the Lembadopic Show. Three hours of news and comment when we dig deep into the matters which affect all of us all over the world. Uh, in this hour, we're going to do something which I'm really proud to present to you. Uh, and that is an analysis, not of the political parties, but the people who run them. Uh, we're going to talk about the psychology of politics, the human potential that politicians need to display to do a good job on our behalf. Remember, these people serve us. They don't rule us. That's something people seem to forget when they get elected. Well, what kind of public servants should we have? What distinguishes a good public servant from a bad one? Uh, Nick Dart will be joining me in just a few minutes to talk about that. She won't be taking a party political stand. She'll be taking a people political stand. And I think the lessons that she can share with us are relevant way beyond politics. But before we go into that, in the first hour, I talked about political and climatological weather. Now I want to talk about war. And if you were just listening to the news, you'll have heard a government minister predicting that in the next five years, the United Kingdom will be fighting on multiple fronts, citing various countries, essentially serving notice to hundreds of millions of people around the world that we want or we expect to be at war with them. Well, the first question I'd ask the British government is, if you're so sure about that, why have you got rid of our army? And why have you got rid of our air force? And why have you got rid of our navy? It's a well-known fact that the military uh, often complains about being under-resourced. That's a normal condition for military people. But it's also clear from media reports that this country, the United Kingdom, is being starved of military potential. Why do that if you think we're going to need those three arms of the military in the near future? And more fundamentally, why tell people that you want to scrap? All my life, I've assumed that talking things through is better than shooting people up. In my experience of politics and of life, uh, I have seen that the greatest damage is done when hot and cold wars separate nations and eat up resources. By contrast, when nations work together, marvelous things can happen. Look at the International Space Station. Despite all of the conflict between Russia and America, that is still a joint multinational operation, arguably the most successful space initiative since Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. We can do it without shooting. I don't even mind the shouting. It's the shooting that I object to. Now, consider what Donald Trump, a man who is persistently in the headlines at the moment, has said. Two things of note. He claims that he prevented a nuclear holocaust when he was president of the United States. It's worth reading the story and what he's claiming there. Uh, it's plausible to me what he says. Uh, albeit somewhat self-congratulatory. And now he said that he can stop the uh, conflict in Ukraine in 24 hours, causing the head of the Ukraine uh, country to invite Trump to come over and do that. Whether you think he can or not, I like his style. He's talking about preventing war rather than provoking it. 
That's a much more comfortable approach, in my view. It's what I want to hear from my public servants. Now, remember, again, they work for us. What I don't want to hear is politicians in the United Kingdom and actually the United States saying, come on, have a go if you think you're hard enough, because a lot of them are a lot harder than us. And the final iron irony, my friends, he mentioned the government minister I'm referring to in the UK mentioned China. How can we attack China when China has the hands that built America and the United Kingdom and much of what's brought across the European Union? You can't destroy the very manufacturing base that keeps us in our high standard of living. It's rubbish. I had the honor of working in China and I was very taken with the people there. They may have a putative dictatorship, according to some people, but look what's happening in the West. As soon as you step out of line, as my previous guest, Andrew Allison says, you step out of the career ladder too. I do think that something very serious has gone wrong in the rhetoric that we hear from politicians in Britain and America, and an increasing rift has occurred between what Britain and America may want to do and what they can do. We have handed the keys to the future, to the BRICS countries, a coalition of nations which collectively outshine and outbuild and economically outperform America and Britain put together. One empire declines and the other one grows. And if you want to declare war on the ascendant nations, you must also recognize that you're probably going to sooner or later have to surrender. That's what I think. You let me know your views at the TNT website. Uh, and uh, I'd love to know if you agree or disagree or you have a different take. We value all comments here. This is the home of free speech. This is the Olympic Opic Show on TNT. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, have for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Joining me now is a woman I never tire of listening to. It's Nick Dark, a human potential consultant. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us on TNT again. How are you? I'm so well. Thank you so much. Um, I'm delighted to be here talking to you again too, Limbit. What fun. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on because... I feel that you see politics from a helicopter view. What's refreshing about you is you don't tend to lay on your own personal political views. So I don't doubt you have strong ones, strongly held ones, and you look at the people within it. So let's start by what you do, human potential consultancy. What is that? Well, look, human potential is really all about uh, us as human beings being the most fully expressed uh, people that we can be. Uh, we've not been placed on this earth to be weak and stifled. We are here to be the most free, happy, healthy, potent individuals that we're here to be. So it's very much about consciousness and capability and all the different levers and dials that we can play with that enable us to expand and fulfill our potential. Uh, so it's pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so th that leads me to, um, I should declare an interest. Uh, when I had a proper job, I was uh, the Global Human Resources Training and Development Manager for a large multinational called Procter & Gamble, a company which to this day I, I respect for its values and its attempt to do the right thing. And what I learned was that there were factors that counts. We called them what counts factors, and there were seven of them uh, to be successful in Procter & Gamble. What are the factors that count 
in politics, would you say, we can look at individuals in, in the next part of the show, but at a generic general level, strategic level, what in your experience does a politician have to do to do politics well? Great question. Well, I think let's start by talking about what politics is and, and why human potential and politics are connected. Um, because politics is really a, a few things. First off, it is, it's the complex of relations between people. It is the set of frameworks and parameters really of how we all get on. Um, we all existed as humans on this planet before we set up government and all these systems and structures. They are set up in order to essentially support the tribe to thrive. You know, they're there to enable us all to, to get on and, as I say, live the most fulfilled, healthy, happy, fully functioning lives that we can. So if we take the premise that politics and our systems and our structures should really about be about supporting that, be, be about supporting uh, or let's say human centric in their approach, that should give us perhaps a good base layer from, from which to work. And obviously, you know, in your intro into this, you've said a number of times, they work for us. Um, and politics is and should, well, politics should be, uh, and let's say government should be about service to humanity, life existence itself, ultimately. So if you're going to start then talking about the politicians that uh, play the game of politics uh, and the parties and the different uh, ideologies, then certainly from my perspective, uh, those are the me measures that I'm going to be looking at, you know, really what are they loyal to? Is it people and is it our highest good uh, or is it something else? Let, let me use a safe example who won't sue you for what you say, me. I was in industry, earning a lot of money, I have to tell you, and uh, doing training for the political party I was involved in without really expecting to become a member of parliament when I did in 1997. And I was pushed into standing, actually, in a seat, and I won. But what I do now is more in line with, I feel, what my personality, my character uh, would dictate. When I got into politics, I found people who thought exactly the opposite. In my view, one suggestion, one person who uh, might sue us, so I've got to be careful, is Nick Clegg, who seemed just to want to be a politician. And indeed, he went on to wreck the party. You can't sue me for that. Uh, build, he, reducing the party from 57 members of parliament to eight in a single election. Is it possible that the very thing that attracts people like him, in my view, to politics is exactly why he shouldn't have been there? Okay, amazing question. So. I mean, uh, I'll say I'm not um, of the view of uh, assassinating different characters in the in the political sphere, because that is also part of the problem that I see that we have. There's a lot of condemnation uh, and attack. And whilst it's sensible to have a critical view on what is going on, um, we can decide the tone and manner in which we do that. So, um yeah, you're absolutely right. And so what I might call in there is, is a couple of things. One is the concept of being really a career politician. Uh, and the other is also power dynamic. Because really the question of, of human potential and politics 
throws up the conversation of, of power dynamic very much. Because if we're talking about um, having a set of uh, governmental systems and structures which are there to enable people, then that's really about a healthy power distribution across people, for people to be the most capable and competent, free, self-directing. That's a core human need uh, that we have to be capable of to, to fulfill our lives and to function well, and also to therefore get on as a collective. And so when you have political parties or people in role who are not there in service and are there for perhaps the power dynamic, then obviously that off the bat is not going to be uh, conducive to enabling power to rather than power over. Yes, I, I don't expect you to um, to assassinate or even criticize individuals. I, I know that's not your style. Uh, the reason I mentioned those individuals is because I had personal experience of them. And I actually read a book warning uh, Nick Clegg, because he wouldn't listen to me, warning Nick Clegg uh, about the consequences of his actions. And sadly, I was ignored. And he went ahead and did it and ruined, well, statistically decimated the party and then went off to earn millions of dollars a year somewhere else. Uh, in terms of that power dynamic, uh, which I think was the problem for, for Nick, but as I said, I don't expect you to comment about him. Um, is it possible that people who want to be powerful actually do subvert the core purpose of politics uh, into fulfilling their personal needs rather than societal needs? In other words, they don't serve the country, they serve themselves. Of course. Of course. And that's there's so much in there to unpack, Lembit. So please keep coming back to that question because I'll probably forget all the salient points that need to be drawn out. But um, absolutely. So I think one of the things there about you talked on was needs, serving their needs opposed to others' needs. Now, I'm just going to dial into that because what needs are we serving here? Um and actually, politics and human need are inextricably linked, right? Um, because, as I said, if we're here to enable people to thrive, that should be about enabling people to fulfill their needs fully. And, those, and the, those needs are many, such as being free thinking, free speaking, uh, free acting, the ability to build healthy connections, to be connected to greater than self, nature, life itself. Um, all these things. And actually, what we've seen over the 20th century is very much a subversion and manipulation of human need in order to maintain uh, a top-down power dynamic. And uh, this, you know, let's say in the mid 20th century, it was very much sort of class focused. And whilst we might still have conversations about class and people still use the phrase working class and that sort of thing, um, it really it was around the Thatcher um, Reagan time when we started to look more deeply at core human psychological needs drivers as a way to break down demographics of people and therefore start to manage, uh, coerce, manipulate, and uh, determine and steer how they're going to vote and what they want. And what's interestingly is um, there is a, a traditional view of uh, human need, which I, I differ from, but 
for now it, it serves the purpose of the conversation and that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And actually, one, the clue is in the word hierarchy. Um, and two, the detail of that is that the base layer of those needs are basically our survival needs, our ability to ha have a roof over our heads, enough to eat, the basics to survive and get by in life. And what's interesting is in the 80s, uh, marketers and comms companies started to band people according to need. And actually, the word mainstream, which is used to denote apparently the majority of people by, by the construction of the word mainstream, actually was used to denote people who were psychologically driven by, by survival mode, by the base layer of needs. And so we have, therefore, a political structure and, you know, also a media establishment structure, which is driven on maintaining a mainstream narrative designed to keep people in a, in a let's say, a lower um, completion of fulfillment and need state where they're focused on survival and basic need. Have I got enough money? Do I have a roof over my head? Do I have a job? Can I survive? Cost of living, all that kind of stuff where we see sort of a fear narrative pushed um, in order to uh, keep people at that level because that's where people are most easily controlled. I, I love Maslow's hierarchy of need. Uh, Abraham Maslow wrote, published it in 1942. Uh, when he was trying to work out human motivations, no doubt in large part driven by the world war that was going on at the time. Stay with us, uh, Nick Dark. I would like to invite you to comment in uh, an objective way about some leading politicians in a short while. And then after that, I'm interested to establish why there seems to be a new wave of politicians who perhaps are responding to the needs of the public uh, and the public may not be feeling that they're getting it from the establishment uh, all of that with me lembidopic right here on tnt tnt's misty winston she says how is anyone still talking about october 7th what israel has done since october 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric the only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago, while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. <laughs> No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Without CO2, the world stops breathing.
CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Greetings, I second that emotion. Carbon dioxide is our friend, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow, we actually have an expert on that who will explain what carbon dioxide does for us and also an interesting theory, which you may not have heard before, that the last time carbon dioxide levels matched those of today was 200 years ago. All of that tomorrow. Today, we're staying uh, with the theme of human uh, potential in politics, uh, a look at some of the big hitters, And I'm asking the question that perhaps affects many of us now. Why are smaller political movements, not just in the United Kingdom, but the world over growing, especially in the old fashioned, the established, the old democracies? Uh, Helping me unravel these questions and finding answers, Nick Dark, human potential expert and political commentator. Nick, thanks for staying with us. Uh, You mentioned uh, Maslow's hierarchy of need and... uh, Priscilla says, Maslow forgot about the human connection. We saw this during COVID. We need human interaction. Uh, I'm not sure, Priscilla, if I agree with you, but it doesn't matter what I think. I'm interested to know what you think, Nick, because I would say that he did see the human connection at the level of love and self-esteem, and uh, that's the, the, the second from top tier. And ultimately, you can only get uh, self-enlightenment, if you like, uh, by by building your interdependency with other people. But what's your view? Oh, another juicy uh, topic, because yes and no is my answer. So he did call it out, you're, you're right, in that layer. However, my issue with it is that it is hierarchical uh, and that you need to take steps in order to get there. And then once you've got that, only then can you reach some sense of full potential and self-actualization. And that I disagree with. And that is that is the issue with hierarchy. And that is why we are in the situation where we are with everybody sort of focused on, on survival needs, um, because actually other needs are equally as important um, and can feed into our ability to create other things. So, for example, if we have a good uh, human connection and interaction, it then can become very easy for you to build and create the structures that you need mm. to support you and meet your basic needs, for example. Um, you know, and you can say the more uh, enlightened, quote unquote, you are, uh, the easier it is for you to actually uh, understand relationships. Because what I would say is is that you you the path to collective cohesion is through the individual um our ability to self-direct and have self-awareness obviously to some degree does come from the reflection of, of what we experience in our relationship with life and others but it is our ability to to self-navigate and metabolize our own life experience if that's not too much of a um complicated phrase it is it is through that capability that we are then able to have better relationship it is through a clear understanding of self self concept self direction that we understand boundaries of self and other and therefore are able to to create better communities there's one place that i never heard these kinds of conversations going on parliament the -hmm. very people who should be thinking about these things because in my view at least it's at the very heart of human motivations and public service 
is the one place where people didn't talk about it. If you watch uh, Private Prime Minister's Questions, it's just a bear pit. By and large, people slagging each other off, running each other down with almost no enlightenment at all. Is it possible, in your view, Nick, for our political system to operate differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that that is also fed really from what I've just said, because um we can look at this, the psychology of this, Carl Jung was a great one to talk about it, is that basically our political sphere and whatever happens on the world stage is really the culmination and, and the compound playing out of our own individual trauma, as it were, that has become a collective trauma and then has played out on the world stage. So when I when I say the word, word trauma, to your point of um, the game playing in Parliament, the heckling, the um, you know condemning and and uh, tearing each other apart, that's all individual trauma, and uh, also you know the approach that they come at that with. But each of us has our own set of fears, beliefs, drivers, etc., which which are our quote unquote trauma. Now, those determine our boundaries, what we say yes to, what we say no to, who we'll vote for, who we won't, um, what we're willing to talk about, what we're not, the decisions that we make. Now, obviously, all those things compound collectively to determine what we think is a good idea and what is isn't what we're willing to address and what we're not and who we vote in and who we don't so actually that that political layer is also reflective of um the evolving consciousness of the collective and proving the proving the very high level of consciousness and awareness amongst tnt viewers and listeners i just want to read you this one from river it's great know thyself to understand others or does it take others to know thyself it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a cooperation. It is both, and that's why I said it's yes and no to that answer, because mm. and that's why that's why needs cannot be hierarchical. It, it it is all need to be present, and that is the path and the job of the human condition and learning to be fully functioning individual in life is to balance that. It is you in the world, but it is the reconciliation of you and the world that is the task for you to do. And that does require a core, a core sense of individuality. Let's now apply this to some people in, in the real world and to stress again, not asking you to make value judgments, but just to make observations as you, much as you can about these individuals. The two obvious ones for those in Britain are Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. How would you say, how would you interpret as a human potential expert how they interact with each other, with the country, with the public. What advice would you give them, nonpartisan advice would you give them if they took you on as an advisor? I would say it comes across as a game for many of the people who are in politics. And I, I used the phrase earlier when you were talking about Nick Clegg about just career politician, what, why these people are here to doing what they're doing. It is what what is it that they're loyal to and and that drives their their working in that role is it service to the collective methinks not in most of most of the case uh or is it the desire to acquire some sense of power which you think you need to get outside of yourself and through the system and the structure that, that you're functioning in is it the desire to acquire money um and so we see these people working on maintaining the system for the system's sake 
and mm. for their own therefore validity in that job role versus actually going back to the needs that we need to meet in society and and working at root cause. And that career politician element of that comes into play very much here because that, if we look at that and we look at, let's say, a lot of what we would deem as career politicians go to certain types of universities, do things like PPE, which is politics, philosophy and economics, and then go straight into working in the civil service or under an MP in some way, shape or form and learn how to play that game rather than learn and understand the basics of life and actually have lived experience. And so it actually brings in the, this concept of academic knowledge, like the academic consumption and acquisition of information that we then get to push around and sort of manage versus a learning through experience and it, an embodied interaction with life, which is fully moved through us mentally, emotionally, physically, to know, to connect, to create and interact with life uh, more more fully, more completely. And so... Seems... Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, and so therefore, if you want to be of service, that, uh, that having learned through experience is very much an, a need that you, that you would have to be, you know, a good a good serving minister i remember the day i got elected to parliament for the first time and it didn't feel as great as i expected and i remember the day i lost and it didn't feel as bad as i expected and now looking back i realize nick it's because my heart wasn't set on being a politician my objective was to make certain changes, some of which I achieved when I was an MP and some of which I didn't. But at the same time, Nick, I can tell you that many people in all the parties just seem to want to be politicians. They actually wanted to do the job rather than do the job to get outcomes. And that didn't strike me as very healthy. Could it be that someone like Donald Trump, who I think does want to get things done, attracts so much uh, attention and trouble and litigation because he doesn't fit the paradigm. He doesn't conform. So, uh, yeah, I think in many respects that's correct. I think I think there's a couple of reasons. I think um, his practical approach and pragmatic approach is exactly, you know, calling out what I've just said, uh, the difference between being a career politician versus actually uh, being able to do things which help meet the needs of people much better. I think that's correct. I also think with Donald, there is um, why he gets so much attention is back to this concept of individual um, trauma versus what's going on in in, in politics, is that actually um, Donald is a trigger for many, many people and calls out across the collective our own um, belief sets, prejudices, fears, uh, and is calling people to, you know, to face those and to look at those and perhaps question some of their uh, assumptions and belief sets. And obviously, you know, for anybody, whatever 
faces you in life that calls you to question yourself and what you thought that can raise up the existential issue of, well, this is what I always thought and that's what I base my decisions on and that's how I live my life and now something else is showing me something slightly different and so therefore I will react by saying the orange man is bad um, or (laughs) whatever it is, right? And so so there's there's a lot of interesting stuff at, at play with him, very much so. Uh, hidden in plain sight says, I'll just read you a couple of very interesting messages in the chat on the TNT site. They don't take advice except from their masters, Klaus Schwab, Rothschild, Rockefellers, and the corrupt corporate cartels and mafia controlled banks. Uh, and hidden in plain sight adds, it's hot air to think this is a fair system that we have a say in. Uh, so it's quite a lot of frustration, it seems to me. Skippy says, the orange man is just an actor. His script is simply different to the rest. It does seem to me there's there's a, an exceptional level of disillusionment in this country, in the United Kingdom at the moment, and perhaps maybe in America or, as well. And my theory, Nick, is that someone like Donald Trump, who, whether you like him or not, is clearly the master of uh, populism, uh, is speaking in a way that millions of people haven't heard in American politics before, but quite like. Is it possible that he looks like the antidote to that establishment? Maybe. Whether he's the antidote or not, I don't know. But but you're right, because he calls out the establishment itself. He's basically naming what is going on and certainly did, you know, way back when, when he ran his first election campaign. And I think that's what was refreshing for people. He basically just called out, this is the structure, this is the establishment, this is how it works, and this is how it feathers its own nest. And so that was very refreshing for people. People latched on to that because ultimately it was also some semblance of truth. Um, and also the word politics doesn't always go hand in hand with the concept of truth. It goes hand in hand with how do we say the right thing to uh, maintain public order, behavior, our power, how do we pitch and spin things? Um, so I think I think that's a big a big part of it. Does that if you if, yeah, if, if you were, uh... Uh, in if you're in charge of a political party, do you think it would be possible with your perspective and your insight and your professional experience, do you think it would be possible for you to alter the zeitgeist, the mindset of a party? Or does a political party have such a strong, organic, uh, self-sustaining instinct that for all the goodwill that you're describing, you wouldn't be able to rock the boat enough to change things? You, no, you can. You can change things because political parties are just made up of people. It is all people. And that just draws us into this point of accountability, which is, again, you know, part of the establishment. And what's been called out is that they're not accountable and they're just feathering their own nest and blah, blah, blah. And so it, it is just made up of people. And so it is all of their own personal drivers and decisions as to why they're in politics, why they think they need to hold on to old concepts of parties that perhaps have passed their sell-by date and are actually holding on to the entity itself versus the ideologies and values that you might want to get behind as an individual 
with other individuals, whatever that may look like. And that is your ability to basically evolve what you do, which is, again, showing showing us uh, it's the it's the politicians in power in power showing us their level of of where they're at with their own human potential because again our ability to change evolve be in integrity with our values is a, is a key part of thriving and so actually we might look at a lot of politicians and see they're actually stuck in their basic need state with perhaps a false view of um uh, superiority through intellectual acquisition and sort of the management of a country and life itself, um, such hubris that that is, uh, which actually masks the fact that they're still basically, um, whether it is, as some of your viewers have suggested, towing the line to other powers that be, but basically for their own survival, having money, feathering their own nest and finding some sort of fulfillment, safety, and um, recognition of as an individual through tools which sit outside of themselves, the structures, rather than from your own inner fulfillment and alignment to values. In, in the next part of the show, I want to talk about the new wave of politicians. And really, this is what inspired me to invite you on today, because it looks to me that something's changing. Uh, I saw that the Reform UK party came third, uh, for the first time in a poll above the Liberal Democrats, who do have MPs, but not many. And I, I want to apply what you're saying to British politics, but really it's an allegory for other countries as well. The question I'll be asking is, what is it that's attracting people to set up these, these all these new parties? And, and what's likely to happen? Will they be crushed by the establishment? Or will they crush the establishment? Will come into all of that in a minute do keep your calls and comments coming uh, go to the tnt site uh, very interesting dialogue going on there at the moment uh, i'm lem Bitopic, and this is lem Bitopic show on tnt <laughs> my baby's back from the west coast <laughs> hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project first day of school cute as a button <laughs> so long ago oh here's grandma florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold. They're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Welcome back. Uh, I'm with Nick Dark, who is a human potential expert and political commentator, as we're looking at the dynamics which seem to be altering uh, politics in the West. Uh, what we're looking at in detail is whether uh, politicians are really subscribing to the factors that count to be good public servants or if something's gone wrong. And in this part of the show, I want to look at the a phenomenon which has really become quite prominent over the last week or so in the United Kingdom and perhaps in other countries too. And that's the resurgence of other parties. Uh, in the United Kingdom, most of the politicians, the overwhelming majority, in fact, come from the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. And they're known as the Uni Party by uh, skeptics because it looks like there isn't very much difference between them. At the same time, there are a whole host of other parties, UK Independence Party, uh, the Brexit Party, uh, which has also become the Reform UK Party, uh, and a host of other groups and, and political movements that seem to be trying to change things. Uh, Nick, I don't want to uh, I don't want to wistfully make predictions because I want them to come true. So be honest about this. Do you think that there is some kind of disillusionment with the old parties, uh, creating a vacuum that these new parties are seeking to fill? Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, absolutely. And for so many reasons, which obviously we've, you know, we've led into it to why previously, because ultimately we're here to be the fullest expression of us. And if we look at how the establishment is run, it it is designed to inhibit and minimize individual personal power because that's what maintains a top-down power dynamic. And if we look at, you know, things like heavy regulation, high tax, you're constantly told you can't have, there's not enough, um, everything is apocalyptic, you know, the environment's about to collapse, net zero, everything's given to you in a, in a narrative of fear there's a, a you know a war on truth um and people are encouraged to be disconnected from each other um and demoralized through that because they don't have the self-direction the freedom to speak freely to act freely to actually have proper valid choice rather than engineered consent or the illusion of choice or whatever else and so when we have more smaller different parties coming through that challenge that narrative it appeals to intrinsic and innate principles within people that actually i need something to change because also change and variety is a core need we can't have stasis and stagnancy we need uh something different and something that allows me to feel more involved more participatory i'm using an um, exercising my choice and my power more if I get engaged with smaller parties because they tend to be and require, let's say, more grassroots rather than top down. Uh, and I think, you know, that's appealing. It feels it, it, you know, also certainly in Britain, people like an underdog, um, but uh, it feels like people um, can make something that's theirs now, not uh, just being told what to do. So, uh applying what we've been discussing in this hour here on TNT to these developing parties. Is it possible that if one or more of these parties was able to tap into the human need uh, for uh, an engaging relationship with politicians, they could do well? Or are the dice totally loaded against new entrants in the British political system and by inference, therefore, in 
American political system and in many other countries? Both. I mean, of, of course, it's loaded against them because that's how power dynamics are maintained. Um, but, you know, when people start to realize the truth of the situation, that they have the power they always have and they always will, they just have to stop outsourcing it and giving it up. Um, and actually, they need to inspect and engage and choose and act and decide what they will do and what they won't do, uh, all determined by their fears, etc. But ultimately, the more conversations we have like that, the more people realize that that's how most people, you know, want, want to function with some sense of self-direction and freedom in life and um, healthy, happy communities. And when you have politicians which... Um, don't have the same, let's say, veneer and distance um, and film professional political layer on them, uh, then people can feel more connected to that. It feels more true. It feels more authentic that they can buy into that and they can actually have a relationship with another human being in, in some way and, and get behind and back someone. Because, you know, to the points that we made earlier, if you're a career politician and all you have is politics and, you know, your sort of personality comes across as fairly flimsy and thin and you are in your ivory tower and nobody can sort of have any connection to you. There's no accountability in that sense. It's very appealing to people to be able to go and have a conversation with a politician or that a politician has had experience of real life that they can actually have some trust in um, and see there is some sense of accountability because they can see more of that person, that person's background, life, personality, intention uh and be able to invest in it in it as a as a more authentic and 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 real uh relationship and an actual social contract and construct uh so let's have some fun now we've still got a few minutes uh not many but uh for it's enough for the task in hand let's design the perfect political movement the part that the political movement that will create a renaissance in the united kingdom a new era of inspired service to the people first of all let's start with what the leader of that this new organization uh, or existent organization perhaps should do what kind of leader is required in britain to basically redeem the country wow um all sorts of leaders are required for that. So as a political leader, you have to lead by example. That's what really what leadership is. Leadership isn't power over and telling you what to do. Leadership is leading by example. And if we want uh, people to engage with politics and lead themselves, because that's also part of this, it can't be, it's not dealt with just by changing the, the political party and the power structure. The power structure also necessarily means a shift in power dynamics. So therefore people, as I say, need to be more engaged that so they need to lead too, in that sense of leadership. Um, but um, for that leader, for that party, to be successful and, and enable people to have that sense of power dynamic, then it does require much more transparency. Um, because you can't have a democracy if you can't hold people to account. 
So transparency is really key. So people can get to the truth. Therefore, also, you know, let's roll back some of this absurd legislation that came in last year that uh, impinges on speech and thought and actually allows us to debate and inspect and ascertain truth. So I think, you know, as a leader, that requires some sense of, you know, vulnerability and trust that actually um, I may mess it up at points, but I'm honest enough to allow us to have a debate about that because ultimately I'm not precious about covering my own bum. I'm more precious about being in service to the nation and actually just getting it right. Um, when people are like that, they tend to be more transparent and open about things. So, okay, so the Dalai Lama will be in charge of this new movement then, <laughs> or somebody <laughs> like him. Uh, don't know about that. Um, the, you still, you you still need strong. You still need strong structure, um, but in a way that is cooperative. Yeah. So we've got a leader. You've illustrated the leader. What? kind of political agenda is required now to restore Britain and perhaps public faith in British politics. Uh, I, I'm working on my own view, which is that I think British politics is in a dreadful state at the moment. So what should their agenda be? I'm not expecting you to write a manifesto, but directionally to achieve the kind of thing that you're describing, what should they be focused on? From my perspective, it, it is all the things that enable people to to have more freedom and more choice, to have self-responsibility, be self-directing, manage social contracts much better without state intervention into to every aspect of life. So certainly there should be a lot of rolling back of regulation. I personally, I, I, I'm, you know, would say that, you know, low regulation, low state intervention and uh, enabling people to get back to um, making their own decisions and, you know, dealing also with those consequences of life, because that does make you a more robust individual, uh, not so much nanny state and trying to basically protect you from yourself. Uh, and also accepting and trusting, if I may, the intelligence of life and not thinking that you know better. Uh, and, you know, something like net zero is a great thing to talk about in that respect, because, it, it requires a tremendous amount of hubris from the establishment to think that you can take something so vast as nature and life itself that has its own spectacular innate intelligence and think that you know better and can manage that through the one measure of CO2 on some sort of balance and spreadsheet to uh, achieve a net zero target that, that you've decided that you think is correct, let alone all the aspects about science and how, you know, necessary CO2 is for life. Um, and so this, this unwinding of interfering in life, allowing people to um, develop their own interpersonal relationships, direct their own life, um, keep the money they earn rather than it be taken to fund the ever bloating and ever complex government mm. that can't do it better despite what it thinks. Um, and yeah, more freedom. Because as I said, more freedom is not about just being an island and selfish and an individual. Mm. That freedom also comes with responsibility. 
And from that comes much better social cohesion, because when you take responsibility for self and, and you learn through those experiences, you have more empathy, compassion and understanding and sensible boundaries about what make good dynamics across the collective. But doubtless, you mentioned the non-existent climate crisis to provoke me because it's one of the classic <laughs> examples of where we are being driven by hubristic nonsense which scientifically just falls apart as soon as you actually understand the science you can see the whole thing's rubbish and yet in this country the uni party the labor party and conservatives and the others they all act as if this is a done deal to the point that they cancel those of us who challenge the orthodoxy i would imagine that the party or movement we're describing wouldn't do that Quite. That's exactly why transparency is needed. So we can get to the truth and we can debate the legitimacy of this policy, which you've decided and now decided to enact through law in various aspects, right? Like the absurdity of taking an idea that you put into policy and then put it into law. Like, dear Lord, um, absolutely. It's, 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 it is completely absurd. So yes, the ability to ascertain truth and debate that is 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 fundamentally necessary. Um, and uh, understanding some sense of boundary of uh, your role in government, because you know, if we do get to that state of more uh, awareness, more collective consciousness, more collective engagement, we actually have a much smaller government, um, because there is less need for that sort of state interference. Um, I could go my on. Feeling is, my feeling is that we could probably get rid of two thirds of the civil service and no one would notice my opinion. I also I object to the fact that when something happens, perhaps something very upsetting or terrible, they quickly pass a law to stop it from happening again. But crime is already illegal. And this is the point. All we do is we tie up the good people in knots as they desperately try to uh, obey well the ne'er-do-wells just carry on doing it anyway classic example is anti-money laundering legislation where i i know that people for example in the employee relocation sector are completely overburdened with it but it doesn't help because people who want to launder money carry on walking around with suitcases full of it so perhaps one of the other things that we would add to this new movement is common sense a reality check a sense of proportion the idea that no system will get rid of all the things we dislike so you have to balance it and proportion isn't something politicians seem to do very well what do you think no proportion correct um there is a huge overstepping of boundaries because you know what you've described there um tacitus uh roman consul uh said the more numerous the laws the more corrupt the state uh, and so, you know, all of those laws aren't necessarily to prevent the issues. Those laws are just a continuation of the layering of complexity upon complexity, which are not solving the cause. And that, that is also where I go back to the, the difference between sort of academic consumption and the management and the spreadsheeting of, of life versus learning through experience looking at root cause which is largely dealt with better through social contracts and inter interact direct interaction through people as we learn 
how's a nice way to treat each other and do business and what we want and actually what's interesting and i haven't touched on at all but underpins that narrative and net zero and and the desire for power in itself is the concept of lack and scarcity and and And, and we, we and we actually lack time we'll have to come back to this at some point thank you so much nick it's so interesting always to talk with you and the point of scarcity at the heart of economic decision making is something we'll discuss the next time that's nick dark she is a professional a human potential expert i wonder what you make of it i'll read some of your comments out after the news coming up next we're going to be taking a review of some of the big stories of the week and getting some fantastic perspective from a wonderful person that's all on the lembidopic show with me right here on tnt mm-hmm.